Hello and welcome, everybody. You're listening to the Arctic Conversation podcast, a podcast with journalists from around the circumpolar Arctic, initiated by Barnes Press in Sweden, aimed at highlighting development trends here in the Arctic. My name is Thomas Nilsson, and I am a journalist reporter with the Barnes Observer based in Kirkenes uh, on Norway's northern shore to the Barents Sea. We cover cross-border issues in the Arctic, mainly in the European part of the Arctic, like climate changes, businesses, indigenous peoples, environmental questions, and trade and business across the borders in the northernmost part of Europe. Today, I have with me Pat Kane from Yellowknife in the Northern Territories of Canada. Hello, Pat. Hi, Thomas. How are you? I'm fine over here. Is the spring already in your part of the circumpolar Arctic? It's here. Most of the snow has melted, although it is minus 10 degrees today. I'm not sure where that came from, but it's a little chilly today, but nothing to complain about too much. Minus 10 Celsius. Wow, that is cold to be uh, mid-May when we record this uh, this uh, podcast. Uh Pat, tell me about what are you doing? You're a photojournalist working up there. That sounds amazing and highly interesting. Absolutely. It's uh, one of the best places uh, to live and to work and to to be a photojournalist. Um, I live in Yellowknife, Northwest Territories. It's the capital city of the Northwest Territories. Uh, The population is about 20,000 here in Yellowknife, and the whole population the population of the entire territory is about 40,000. So about half the population lives in the city that I am in, um, which is very small in itself, but even the the communities around it are are smaller. And the territory is about the size, twice the size of Texas in the United States. So it gives you kind of an idea of how big the landscape is and how small the population is. Um, But yeah, I've been here for 15 years. Um, I I moved here from uh, Southern Canada in 2005. So I've been here for 15 years and photographing um, all sorts of, of different uh, stories and people and, and cultures. Um, and that's mostly what I do is I, I focus on indigenous people and stories um, outside of the outside of Yellowknife in the more remote communities. Um, and I do a lot of uh, culture and lifestyle and, and people. And my focus is on indigenous issues and empowerment in particular. Um, and also with that, a lot of stories about the environment, um, land-based uh, learning, traditional knowledge, um, kind of all these things that are quite foreign to many people who live in the South, but um, to anyone who lives in, in the circumpolar Arctic is, is quite familiar with. Um, so yeah, I've been lucky enough to to be here and, and do some really amazing stories and and take some great photographs in the, the last fifteen years. And uh, for all our listeners who would like to take uh, a closer look at your photos, the uh, portal, which is an amazing one, I looked at it earlier today. It's uh, patkanephoto.com. Uh, what uh, what strikes me when I, I looked at your photos, you like to be out in the wilderness, correct? Absolutely. It's uh, a place that I, I love to be. It's um, just a more calming place. It's away from the city. 
And uh, I think you get some really special moments with people when they're on the land and out in nature. And it's, it's really a, a humbling place to be when you're in such a massive, beautiful landscape, uh, whether that's dead of winter when it's minus 40 or in, in the long, endless summers where it's you know, plus 25. It's uh, always beautiful. And I'm very fortunate. I'm curious, how does your battery on your camera survive in minus 40 when you are out for hours and hours and hours? <laughs> That's a, a question I get a lot. And one of the tricks that I do is I get um, hand warmers that you put inside of your glove or your mitt. And I put those on my batteries and I put those in my parka pocket. So right close to my, almost my armpit, really. So I always have at least three batteries uh, at any given time. So I'll, I'll keep one in the camera or two in the camera, and then I'll have these other ones warming essentially in my armpit for the, for the next little bit. And hopefully I'm not outside too, too long where I, I freeze um, and my, my camera doesn't freeze. So we're usually pretty close to um, you know, a building or something as well, which makes it nice. So uh, who, who get uh, coldest first, your camera or you? Usually my camera. I'm well insulated. <laughs> but uh, uh, being a photographer in the Arctic, that is uh, definitely something else than uh, in the more warmer places where most people on planet Earth are living. Uh, you, you're not only a photographer, but you, you love to teach others, to share experiences with, uh, with others. And, uh, and you have uh, uh, initiated and are, are working on a photo festival, the, the Far North Photo Festival. Uh, where we actually invite uh, not only people from North America and Canada, but uh, from the entire circumpolar Arctic. So if any of the listeners uh, would like to learn more, they are welcome, or how should they do it? Yeah, if um, our website is uh, thefarnorthphotofest.com. Um, so if they go, they just Google Far North Photo Fest, they should be taken to our website. And uh, they can look and see at what our mandate is. And it's quite different than just um, taking pretty pictures and talking about cameras. It really does have a focus on uh, unique aspects uh, to the Arctic. So Arctic people, um, Arctic issues that we face in the media, uh, representation in, with Northern storytellers is really big for us. We want to encourage people who are from the Arctic to tell their own stories, whether that's through photography or words. Um, we feel that it's Im imperative that we get the stories out that are important to us and doing them in responsible ways. Um, I, I was doing another podcast where we were talking about um, representation in the media and how a lot of journalists will come from the South, not knowing anything about the North, and they get a lot of the... Uh, issues wrong, or they get they leave and never return and get all the accolades and the and the praise um, and kind of leave people just as objects or subjects of their stories. Whereas we are actually through this photo festival trying to en engage our own people into telling their own stories. So that's really important. To the more. Uh... Uh, serious and and um, maybe scary part of of your work. You are you are documenting uh, not only people's life and nature up in the north, but you are also 
uh, with your photo camera documenting a very, very special period in time of, uh, of the Arctic, uh, a very uh, fast, rapid, changing period uh, of time. Uh, you photograph a lot of harvesting of food and indigenous communities. Could you tell me how climate changes has impacted their ability to get wild, locally sourced food out, uh, out at those places uh, where you meet people? Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, I think in the last, well, I don't know, 10 years or so, there has been a lot of changes um, to the environment. And you can see that, um, especially in the further north that you are, there's uh, the sea ice um, will melt a lot sooner in the year. It'll freeze a lot later in the year. Um, so for uh, indigenous people like uh, Inuit people, Inuvialuit people, even Gwich'in people in, in Canada, um, who rely on the sea ice to harvest seals, um, to go polar bear hunting, to you know, to get this wildlife that they need the ice to to get them to, um, that is starting to slow down a little bit. Um, and in the southern part of the Northwest Territories, closer to where I live, um, there's actually a lot of wildfires and a lot of fire, forest fires that are um, just really tearing through the wilderness and people cannot hunt anymore um, because it's too dangerous. I'll, I'll give you an example. A few years ago, I went on a moose hunt with a family. It's a community called Kakisa, and there's about 50 people total that live in this community. And they all gather together each year at their traditional homelands, which is called Tatlina Lake, which is about 20 minute float pl uh, airplane ride from their community to their traditional home. Um, they couldn't do that for three years because the wildfires were so intense that it kind of burned through their traditional territory. So they weren't allowed, they weren't able to get any uh, fresh moose meat, to get berries, um, to get uh, rabbits and, and all these things that they would eat traditionally. And it helps um, support the community. It's just good, healthy food, fresh meat, fresh berries, fresh vegetables, um, fresh fish is a big, big one as well. So to have that is not only nutritionally important, but it's also very culturally important to the people so, there. So what, what you're actually telling us now is that the traditional uh, indigenous way of uh, harvesting food is, is uh, not only threatened, but also that the culture of the indigenous peoples itself are, are threatened by uh, the current climate changes. Absolutely, yes. And um, a lot of people might in their mind think that Indigenous people um, only harvest, they only hunt, but that's not true. A lot, you know, everyone uses a grocery store, um, except in some of these communities, the prices of food are enormous. And the distance to just get fresh food is, is, is quite long. And you have to pay for expensive gas to get there. You have to pay for produce, which has been flown or shipped up from southern Canada, which is very expensive. You know, you can buy a carton of eggs uh, for $7, which is, you know, two and a half times the amount anywhere else in Canada. Um, 
so they can access groceries, but to have uh, fresh moose meat, for example, is nutritionally better. It's uh, cheaper. It feeds more people. But as you said, it's also detrimental to the culture and, and, and traditional way of life. It's a saying at all uh, Arctic conferences around the globe in London, New York, uh, Shanghai, Reykjavik, Stockholm, and so on, that what happens in the Arctic doesn't stay in the Arctic. When you work as a photographer, freelance journalist, is it easy to, to convince mainstream media, uh, newsrooms further south in, in Canada or other places uh, to, to buy such stories, to... to give you space to write and show your uh, photographs of uh, these dramatic climate changes in the high north? Well, I think it it, it is and it isn't. It, it's kind of both. Um, it's taking me a long time to get uh, to the level that I'm at, to a point where newspapers and magazines trust my work. Um, they, they trust my photography. They trust my, um, my ethics with... Uh, dealing with um, indigenous issues and stories about environment. Um, so it's on the one hand, yes, I, I am able to um, have access to photo editors and publications, but there's not a lot of other people who are. Um, so one of my personal mandates is to try to um, kind of develop our industry here so that more people um, can get their stories out as well. There are other great photographers and journalists who live here um, who may not have the experience uh, yet to to get their stories out. So I think a lot of a lot of editors always, you know, they kind of want to send their own people from Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal. But we do have like a really strong base of, of journalists here to get, uh, like I said, to get our stories out to to the rest of Canada. Yeah, because there are a difference between the parachuting journalists, those flying in from the capitals to get the photo of a hungry polar bear, fly home and write the story, and us that are reporters actually staying in the north and have a better insight into what happens. Yeah, and I, and I also think that what we can provide or what I try to provide is a little more uh, nuance, a little more, um, you know, it's not just stereotypes of things that people want to see, um, that people are used to seeing in magazines and newspapers. I try to do um, a little bit of a different slant on that, maybe less wildlife and more people-based um, photography is one aspect of it. But definitely to have someone here who understands the politics, um, the cultures, um, the different languages and people and ways of life, it really helps tell a better story in the long run. I'm also interested to hear about um, the Barents Observer and, and the work that you do. We uh, try to, to cover a wide range of uh, Arctic issues, including uh, what you are doing in North, northern uh, Canada, uh, reporting about uh, indigenous peoples uh, here in northern Scandinavia that are the Sami uh, people uh, that have uh, been here for, for thousands uh, of years uh, and uh, which are mainly known uh, along the coast for the coastal uh, fisheries, uh, but also in the inland for uh, the Sami reindeer uh, herding, uh, which has actually uh, been going on long before the borders between the uh, three Scandinavian countries of Finland, 
uh, Norway and uh, Sweden uh, were drawn on any map. Uh, and the Sami population also uh, live further east across the border into what is today uh, Russia, also there as uh, reindeer herders. Yeah, Thomas, um, can you tell me a little bit more about the reindeer populations and you know their ability to survive because of climate change over there? It's a, it's a good question, especially this winter, because uh, it's quite dramatic what is happening uh, up north. You know, the, the, the reindeer and the, and the Sami reindeer herders, uh, the reindeers are migrating from uh, the inland in the winter out to the coast. Uh, this winter, it has been extremely amount of snow uh, in the inland. Uh, in the combination with the, the temperature going up and down, up and down. So one day it's raining, next day it's freezing. One day it's snowing, next day it's raining. And that gives uh, uh, a lot of layers of very hard ice uh, in between the snow. So for the reindeers, it's uh, nearly impossible in many places to dig down to the food they need to, to graze on. So it has been a, a big, big rescue uh, operation going on over the last uh, few weeks in the end of this winter uh, 2020 where uh, they have been uh, uh, shuttling with helicopters uh, to get food into the reindeers in order uh, not to that they should uh, face starvation uh, death and, and so on and this is uh, probably just the beginning of the enormous uh, challenges climate changes bring for traditional indigenous reindeer herdings in, in northern Scandinavia. Okay, Pat, now it's time for four uh, fast questions. Are you ready? Yep. Uh, what is the best thing about your home in Yellowknife in the Arctic? I think the best thing about Yellowknife is the people. We're, very, um, we're a very young demographic. We love the outdoors. Um, we love getting together and having parties. Um, we're very friendly. We're very helpful. We are kind of like a big giant family. Um, there are some dysfunction sometimes, <laughs> but overall, um, we're all very close. I could go for that uh, party version. Uh, but uh, if you bring another guest, not me, but another guest visiting for the first time, what would you do? Well, we would take them to uh, a party, <laughs> of course. <laughs> we, we have many. And uh, one of the big things that we like to do is uh, to have uh, bonfires. So we, we have... Uh, just big fires uh, in fire pits and people gather and we, we get together and we sing and uh, dance and have a good time. So I think uh, doing that would be a lot of fun for someone. Do you have the, the very same saying up in uh, northern Canada as we have in the northernmost part of Norway due to the darkness period, the polar night, that in the winter we sleep and work and then during midnight sun in the summer we party? Absolutely. It's the same here. What is the best uh, food from your region? There's a lot of a uh, lot of great food, a lot of good wild food. Um, moose is big. A lot of people love moose. It's uh, easy to 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 find. There are lots of them. Uh, but caribou or reindeer would be probably number one. Uh, we haven't been able to really uh, harvest them in a long time because their population is down. But um, it's one of the tastiest uh, meats you can ever have. And uh, and wh wh what is your guess for the worst thing to serve uh, visiting guests? I think just anything from a normal grocery store. It's fine, but yeah. you can get a lot better stuff. And uh, yeah, sometimes it's been on a truck for 
three or four days before it arrives here. So it's not always the best quality. So always best to go for the fresh food in the nature. Absolutely. Okay, Pat, uh, thank you for uh, joining us today. We should uh, wrap up this uh, conversation. But uh, uh, as a conclusion, what is the main challenges with climate changes and uh, uh, indigenous uh, challenges in your part of Canada? Well, I think um, having access to harvest uh, food is, is really an important issue. And it's tough when there are forest fires and melting sea ice and uh, different migration patterns with our wildlife. So I think, yeah, if we can change our global perspective on climate change and turn things around, um, it would be great for the indigenous people here in the north. Thank you so much for listening to the Arctic Conversation podcast. My name is uh, Thomas Nielsen. And my name is Pat Kane. Thank you, uh, Pat. Everyone, take care and we talk soon.